you have a copy of God's Word, if you could take it and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, and uh, if ever you don't have a copy of God's Word, please feel free to do that. Uh, We'll be on page 605 today, 605, uh, Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin reading today in verse 1. I'm going to ask uh, Heather Johnson to come and read for us. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, and since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So for those who grew up in church, you were fighting the urge to do the motions of this song, weren't you? It was going through your mind. Some of you weren't fighting. You were doing it. I saw you. So this is, uh, this is my entertainment for the day. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I sung that song, man, I don't know how many, I'm, I'm not going to treat you to the motions or the singing the song today. You can just like do that on your own time. But I do think this story has a lot to teach us. It's interesting, the story we looked at last week and this one, I think, really go together really well. They give us two pictures of, of what a follower of Jesus looks like. And they're somewhat surprising in that one's a, a blind beggar and one's a chief tax collector. But right here in Luke, in Luke 18 and 19, Jesus is going to hold these up as models of what it means to really follow him. It's almost like the, we talked about this last week, the Christ followers of the month. What, what, what would be the characteristics of those? Well, here, here we see it. And, and Jesus tells this story. And at the end, and I, I think this is so important that we like, make sure we think through this uh, of why, why this encounter happened, what is going on here. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, there's somewhat of a mission statement. So a lot of organizations have these. Corporations, nonprofits have these. But I hear from Jesus his mission statement. The Son of Man, it says in Luke chapter 19, in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is his mission. This is what Jesus came to do. And and I want us to look especially at those two words. He came to seek and he came to save. This is the mission of Jesus. I don't, I don't think it'd be stretching it too far, knowing that God is love, and that God was at work, God the Father at work in God the Son, Jesus Christ, 
to kind of see this as the love of God seeking and the love of God saving. Let's look first of all at how love seeks. How love seeks. The basic background of this story, which probably many of you are familiar with, is Jesus is going through Jericho. He's just encountered a blind man. He's given that man his sight. And, and he's, he's just passing through Jer- Jericho. Verse 1 says of chapter 19, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he'll go to the cross. And on that way there, in Jericho, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And it tells us his condition. It tells us where he is. It gives two identifiers of him right out, right out of the gate. One is he's a, a chief tax collector. And not unrelated to that, he's rich. He's a chief tax collector and he's rich. This is a little bit different and we're going, we have to go back into a different culture. So this isn't necessarily like Zacchaeus had a you know, high job at the IRS or something. Yeah, collecting taxes was a tad different in those days. So if you were a tax collector, what that meant is you were helping the Romans, the Roman Empire, get money for Caesar. The way this worked is there were regions and geographical regions might have a, a toll booth somewhere. At that toll booth, someone would bid on that. Someone would bid to have like that franchise that they would have the, the toll booth of Jericho, which was a pretty valuable one because lots of people passed through Jericho. And they would say to, to the Roman Empire, I, I will collect X amount in taxes. And then whatever else these tax collectors could get, they kept. Oh, there were some laws saying, you know, well, you, you shouldn't do it corruptly. You shouldn't try to fraud or you know, extort anything out of anybody. But, but those weren't enforced. What's interesting with Zacchaeus, it says he's, he's a chief tax collector. So he's head of, the, head of the toll booth in Jericho. And he's Jewish. The name's Jewish. So he is helping Rome. So not only is he most likely notorious for his dishonesty, but he's a traitor. I, I don't know that we have too many comparisons in our, our day and time to to kind of hit that, like, what would that be in USA in 2017? Uh, one, one that was suggested, and I, I think it might, might be helpful for us, is imagine someone grew up in a, in a tough neighborhood and, and kind of rises up and ends, ends up buying houses to rent in, in that tough neighborhood, but then isn't so much of a landlord but a slumlord as they will not, they will not take care and they gouge everybody they can, and they will not take care of property, and, and, and they, they lord it over people. And, and so if you saw that, and you saw that going on, and you had someone you cared about in that environment, you'd say, this is not right. This is unjust. And so now you begin to feel the meter spiking, which, which Jews would feel, this is not right. What Zacchaeus is doing, what that whole tax collecting system is doing is not right. Zacchaeus would have just been assumed to be unclean. He would have been a social like outcast and would have been ostracized. So that's, that's who he is, his condition. But verse 3 says he's, he's curious. He says he wants to see Jesus. 
Jesus passes through town, and Zacchaeus is interested. I don't know why he's interested. Scripture doesn't tell us. So we speculate. Is it, is it that he thought he might see something impressive about Jesus? He just wanted to see who he was. Reputation preceded him. Maybe he would want to just hear something. Maybe if he heard something of Jesus, maybe that would mean something to him. I, I, I have to wonder if, if he has not heard about how Jesus, this rabbi, this holy person, this teacher, how he has treated other tax collectors. So you go to Luke 5 and you go to Luke 15 and you, you see a picture of Jesus receiving tax collectors and him actually eating with tax collectors. And, and you have to wonder, did, did Zacchaeus hear about this and, and wonder if maybe this one is different? Maybe lots of religious people had no time for him and, and weren't interested in him, but maybe this Jesus is different. We're not told why he wanted to see Jesus, but he was certainly interested. He was curious. I'm, I'm not convinced that he believed everything that everybody said about Jesus. I don't know. But he was enough to be curious. I'm not sure at the beginning of Luke 19, when that whole episode happened, if Zacchaeus had anticipated a life-altering encounter. I, I don't know. He was just curious. Heard things about Jesus? Go check it out. And that way, Zacchaeus may not be that much unlike some of you that are here today. You would not, not necessarily put yourself in the category of the convinced. So we sang, you know, I believe in God, this, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you might say, I, I'm not convinced of that. But I am curious. For some of you, maybe that even Christianity is new to you. Or maybe it's actually not new and, and you're still curious, you're still not sure but, he, but here you are this morning, and maybe you're asking questions. I hope you know this is a place where we don't just expect the convinced to show up. But, but I'm glad many times I meet people that aren't, aren't convinced, but are curious. And you're always welcome here if that's, if that's where you are. The problem Zacchaeus had was that he was a wee little man, right? There's a big crowd, and he's short. And he's not going to see him. So the story goes, he climbs up in the tree to get a view. So maybe as Jesus passes by, maybe he knew this was a strategic place where he'd be able to overhear what Jesus is teaching. And then the story turns. So like the first four verses, we've got Zacchaeus looking for Jesus, seeking Jesus. And then... By the time verse 5 and 6 come, we start asking, who's really seeking whom here? Who's really trying to find whom here? Because in verse 5, Jesus looks up and calls Zacchaeus by name. This is what I, I meant earlier when I said love seeks. So Jesus, I don't know how he knew Zacchaeus' name. But he calls him by name. Whatever it is, Jesus is in control of the situation, isn't he? Jesus is the one who stops, looks, calls him down, says, hurry, I'm going to your house. It actually, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily ask him if he can come by, stop by at a convenient time. If Zacchaeus would be so polite to have him that afternoon. There's a couple things on his mind. I mean, Jesus is forceful, isn't he? 
This is one of those situations, you're not, you're not telling Jesus no here. I must, I must go by your house. I must remain in your house. Zacchaeus, surely the response immediately would be one of shock, but it quickly turns to joy. When I think of how this goes, it's a very, it's a very different emotional response than another rich ruler we read about in chapter 18. I mean, the contrast is amazing. So a rich ruler in chapter 18 walks away from Jesus sad. And here the rich tax collector, the ruling tax collector, receives Jesus joyfully into his house. He receives him joyfully because by the time we get here in Luke, we recognize that the heart of the mission of Jesus is seeking. Love seeks. When Jesus seeks you, it's, it's always personal. It's never impersonal. So the pattern of Jesus isn't drive-by miracles. He actually cares deeply for individuals. I don't know how many names that Jesus actually calls out, but he calls out so many names in the Bible. That's because people matter to him. When Jesus seeks you, it is very personal, even if it was never meant to be private. It's interesting, Luke 19.10 could have said, the Son of Man came to save the lost. And that would be true. But it adds something, doesn't it? It makes this saving work that God's doing very, very personal. He came to seek. So, so let me make it clear. This is the story of every Christian you have ever met. What they share in common is that Jesus was seeking for them. Jesus was looking for them. So as a child, I mean, from, from the earliest memories I have, I have of being in church. And, and we could say, you know, I, I was interested in the Bible. I was looking for things of God. I was spiritually interested. But, and, and that would all be true. I had those interests early on as a child. But I think what we'd have to say is from an early age, I know that Jesus was seeking me. I know that he knew my name. And for some of you, your story may, may be more like, you know, when I, was, when I was in middle school or when I was in high school, I had a friend and the friend told me this story that I maybe had heard, but it had never been that real to me. And, and maybe it was in high school where you, where you became aware that the God of the universe who made everything cared about you and particularly sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. But every person that follows Jesus has had this encounter that Jesus was seeking for them, seeking them out, looking for them. Maybe it was in college. Maybe your story is one where you were like far, far from God. And then you went to, you went to a campus group. You went to something that, that just messed with your categories. And more than just a, a set of facts, you were introduced to a person and all these true things about this person, and it's changed your life. Or maybe it's when you're in your 20s or your 30s, or, or, or maybe midlife, or, or maybe you're like some senior adults I know who for many, many years did, didn't really have any sort of relationship with Jesus. Or if, if anything, it was just some formal holidays. But then, 
But then they, they could not mistake the voice of Jesus. And Jesus called them. And the Father sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And he's not going to rescue people impersonally. He's going to rescue you individually. The way another scripture says is we love, we love period, but we certainly love him because he loved us first. Jesus was seeking me all the time, even when I didn't know it. I've been adopted into his family because Jesus was seeking me. The act of love of Jesus on the cross wasn't an impersonal act. It's very personal. So I would sing, you know, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Or amazing grace. This is why we would pull out those kind of adjectives. It's amazing. It's hard to comprehend that Jesus would, I mean, billions of people, that in his infinite power, he would also have infinite love and come after us. Love seeks. I wonder how long has it been since you processed that deeply and felt grateful that he found you, that he knew where you were, that he, sh- that he came for you, came to rescue. You see, Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house and and that encounter is going to produce some things because Jesus has sought out Zacchaeus, but love doesn't just seek, it also love saves. Love saves. What happens at the end of this encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus is saved. He's rescued. How do we know that? Well, we know that from verse 9. Sometimes it's helpful to kind of back up to the beginning. So love doesn't just seek, it also saves. Verse 9, Jesus will say to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. Since since Zacchaeus, he also is a son of Abraham. At the end of this, Jesus is going to make very clear what's happened. Zacchaeus is a person who has been rescued. His relationship with God has now been restored. What he was made for, he he can live in light of those purposes now because he has been rescued, he's been saved, he's been delivered And Jesus is so bold to say, today, Zacchaeus, you're saved. If if we were kind of just applying our normal mental processes and even emotional processes to this, we would say, Zacchaeus, today, today's a start. We're going to put you on about a 90-day probation because you have messed over so many people coming through Jericho. And I hope you can get your life turned around. I'm thinking, you know, you're in a good spot. It's a good start. But we'll see. We'll see how the salvation goes. We'll see how you, how you keep doing. But it's amazing Jesus makes this pronouncement. Today, you're rescued. What authority Jesus has. Generally, rescue at that time came because you would go to Jerusalem and a priest would offer a sacrifice at the temple 
so that you might be rescued, so you might be saved. But notice the authority of Jesus in Jericho, not in Jerusalem. In Jericho, Jesus is that great high priest. Jesus is that lamb that was slain. Jesus is the the temple through his flesh. He opens up a way to God. So he says to Zacchaeus today, you're saved, you're rescued. He even says salvation, that's, that's here. The kingdom of God is breaking through in your midst. This is what the whole nation was meant for. I think that's why he calls him, you know, today, you're truly a son of Abraham. This is what the nation was destined for. This is what the family of believers was always meant to be. Put their faith in the the Messiah, Jesus. I think we're meant to think deeply about that encounter Zacchaeus had. It's only a couple verses that it seems like what what happened in Zacchaeus' house when Jesus was received. So you look at verse 6 and Zacchaeus hurries and comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. And then you've got a group that's frustrated by this. They are all grumbling. Ironically, I mean, they're grumbling even though a few verses before this at the end of chapter 18, they're actually happy with Jesus. He's just made a blind man see and they're all like on team Jesus at that moment. But then this, now they're, they're grumbling. All the crowd, it says, all of them are grumbling at what's just been done because he is accepting a sinner. I, I think we're meant to look very deeply into what's going on here because I think it gives us a picture of what the gospel is at, at its core. This is what it is. So Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus. And what happens to Jesus in going into that place? What happens to Jesus as he begins to identify with Zacchaeus? So Zacchaeus is the outcast. He's the object of contempt. No one likes him. And Jesus identifies with Zacchaeus in that moment, doesn't he? He identifies with him. Someone has said... They're all grumbling at Jesus because he's even viewed as a partner in crime. Here we have a religious guy endorsing you, Zacchaeus, coming into your house. You think about it. Does Jesus have much to gain by going in this house? Or couldn't he just ride the miracle? Everybody singing his praises. But he, he just cashes all that in to go to this one and join him in his condition. Then what happens is Jesus becomes that outsider now so that Zacchaeus could be called the the true son of Abraham. Jesus becomes the outsider so that Zacchaeus could be an insider when it comes to God's family. So that he would be accepted by God, he would be saved. This is the essence of our salvation. So Jesus becomes what I am in my sin, the outsider. He bears the guilt and shame, every, every bit of guilt, every bit of shame that I deserve to bear for my sin. He becomes the outsider. He identifies with me and he, and he didn't deserve this. So that I could be, become and you could become an insider to his grace. So that you might know what it means to be welcomed and accepted, not just by a friend or two, not just by a family member, but by your heavenly father, by 
by the Son of God, by the Holy Spirit, that you would know what it means to be received and welcomed, and then that, that status wouldn't change. There's something that happens to Zacchaeus when, when that, I mean, that is just good news. And so when that gospel comes to him, when, when Jesus identifies with the outsider so that Zacchaeus will no longer be the outsider, but he will be the insider to grace. What does that look like when someone's changed by that at their core? Well, verse 8 tells us, Zacchaeus stands and says, I, Lord, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This wasn't just a quick, easy way to deal with Zac- Zacchaeus's guilty conscience. Someone has said it well. Zacchaeus provides this model response to Jesus' initiative. He responds with joy and generosity and righting of previous wrongs. This is how a disciple reacts to Jesus in a way that's pleasing to God. He releases his possessions. Do you remember the rich ruler in chapter 18 could not release him. He walked away from Jesus sad because he had too much stuff and he didn't want to give it up. And now Zacchaeus, because he's had an encounter with Jesus, releases it. Half my goods. He was willing to make restitution for harm. He says, if I have defrauded. I mean, the, the meaning of the original there is, if I have and I know I have. Since I have. This is repentance. This is a mind and a heart change that now leads to a different direction in life. He's willing to give up possessions. I mean, he's rich and he's probably enjoyed that for a long time. He's willing to give up those possessions because something has happened in his life. An encounter has happened. As I was reading this story this week, another story, and it's so similar that I couldn't quit thinking about some of the parallels, actually some of the differences. So some of you are familiar with uh, A Christmas Carol that Charles Dickens wrote. True confession here. I've never read the book, but I've seen Muppets and I've seen Disney. So that's pretty much the story, right? So I, I think even if you haven't read the book, you know some of the, some of the essence of, of what's going on. The main character of that story, Ebenezer Scrooge, is a bad, greedy person. But in that story, he has a dramatic, doesn't he? He has a dramatic change of heart. And at the end of the story, he's giving away lots of money. He's working for social justice. He's turning over a new leaf. So this is, this is my thought. Like, how is that story different than, which is a, it's a fictional story. How, how is that different than the story of Zacchaeus, this true story? I think it comes deeply to what motivates the change. Do you remember what motivated Ebenezer Scrooge's change? So he goes to sleep and he has a dream. He has a dream of the ghost, the ghost of Christmas past. And that begins to stir in him regret. Look at how life used to be. Look at how he used to be. Then he has another ghost, the ghost of Christmas present visits. And that's not regret as much as guilt. Look at what you're doing. Look at how other people have to live because of you. And then there's one more ghost. And it's the one, Christmas future, right? And that's not so much regret, and that's not so much guilt. That is just fear. You want to see where your life is going, Ebenezer? 
This is where it's going. And so those, those motives press on him. He wakes up and realizes it's all just a dream. And the new leaf is turned over. Undoubtedly, I mean, so, I mean, these are powerful motivators, are they not? I mean, regret, guilt, fear. We've done a lot of things because we've been motivated by regret and guilt and fear. They're very compelling. If you don't change, if you don't become a better version of yourself, if you don't go back to that time like Ebenezer Scrooge when, when you were young and you were a better version of yourself, if you don't get back there, then uh, life's going to be pretty rough for you. And that's very motivating to change at times. But I, I do want to say Zacchaeus is changed by something very, very different. I would think he had lots of regret. I would think he had lots of guilt. I would think he's considering what the future holds. What motivates Zacchaeus is this encounter he's had with Jesus. And that encounter he had with Jesus wasn't one of regret, guilt, and fear. It was of love. And it was of acceptance. This is what's driving him. This is what happens when someone really repents. The story of Zacchaeus is not, it's not just about guilt and regret and fear. It's about an encounter with love. And this is, hear this, true repentance never bypasses Jesus. So ho- however you turn from whatever you want to turn from, it, it will never, true repentance will never bypass. I mean, you may have some change in your life, but true repentance will never bypass Jesus. Why is that the case? Because we know Jesus is the one who initiated the encounter where he called us out from the crowd, noticed us, even when he knew exactly who we were and exactly what we were. He called us out, and so we're, we're never going to bypass that and really repent. And we're also never going to bypass Jesus because our sin affected him. It's our sin that put him on the cross. Jesus stood accused, condemned, and guilty for us, with us in our sin. Could not atone for it on our own. We can't bypass Jesus because we need his righteousness in our place. So let's say you go, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be the best version of myself this world has ever seen. And I would imagine you could muster a lot of determination to do that. My guess is eventually, eventually that's going to run out. And you're going to do something that you feel ashamed of. And you're going to need someone else's righteousness. And by the way, Even if I tried to be the best version of myself, it will still not meet the standard of Jesus, the standard of God. I need his work on the cross. So Zacchaeus, this money he's collected for years, maybe this money that told him he was somebody, he can't give it away quick enough because he has a new savior that has motivated all sorts of change in his life. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The lost. This is first and foremost not about a, a cute little story of a guy climbing trees. This is God's work. God seeks and God saves. It's the story of Jesus who has become the instrument through whom God works. It's Jesus' mission to initiate relationships. Maybe even with you this morning to initiate a relationship. 
with those that are, are far from God or that don't know God to initiate that relationship and call you back home, to call you to know God. So if Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, is there a category of someone who Jesus is absolutely not seeking? It's a little bit of a complicated question. It's complicated because Jesus told us in Luke chapter 5, those who are well don't need a physician. I didn't, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I did come to call sinners. So then we begin to ask, well, have I ever in my life sensed that I'm lost? before God. If I ever sense that there's a direction that I just cannot seem to find with my life. Have I ever sensed there's a destination with my life that it's, it's meant to, to head towards something and frankly, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what it is. Or, or even if you kind of had a general idea of the direction and the destination, you say, I, I'm still living with the deficit to figure it all out. What does it mean to be lost? Imagine if, if you were to be just dropped in a city. Let's say we, we don't know the city, and it's a big city, and we don't know the language, but we know there's something in the city that we, some site we're supposed to visit, some site we should see, and we don't have a map, and we don't have our, any sort of GPS on any device we have, and so we hop on public transit and we hop off public transit and we walk and we ride and we, we do this, we do that. And, and imagine someone sees us and recognizes, are you okay? So imagine someone comes up, up to us and, and she asks us. First she assures us, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for people like you. I'm here to help you get, where, get to where you're going. She's come out of her way to come to your rescue. At that moment, you, you're in a spot. Let's just say you're lost. And you have a choice. And that choice in that moment would be, do you just kind of play the cynic? I bet it's a scam. She's scamming me. Do, do, you, do you rise up kind of in confidence like, nah, I... I think I can find where I'm looking for on my own. Do you reply, no thanks, I'm, I'm good. When deep down you know, you're not good. It's not okay. Do you convince yourself, I, I wasn't really lost in the first place. Never, not me. I, I didn't need that person's help anyway. I'll, I'll take care of it on my own. Or is there another response to say, I'm lost. I'm lost. Here's what I think I'm looking for. But I got to have some help. Then, then and only then can that person come to your rescue. Do you consider yourself to be found? Good. No, I'm good. Not lost. Or do you find yourself like all the disciples, like Zacchaeus, going, I need you. I need you. What would it mean for our church if as we follow Jesus, he reminds us that, yeah, we once were lost and without him, we would still be lost. But we know there's a world of people that Jesus is seeking, 
and we might be the means to introduce them to Jesus Christ. What would it mean for you? Are you, are you a sinner? Have you ever thought of yourself as lost? Would you ever consider yourself as lost? This, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Turn from everything else you could possibly trust in to, of figuring this out and turn to Jesus. Believe in him. Believe in what he did on the cross. Believe in, in how he's risen from the dead. Believe in the work he's doing through his Holy Spirit now, preparing us to meet Jesus someday and to live in eternity with him. Follow him. Obey him. This is what you need to do if you're lost. He's coming and he, he's seeking for you. Turn to him. And I wonder if you'd say, well, Curtis, I I still have more questions. And I would say, be like Zacchaeus, climb down the tree and start asking him. Start asking. I'd I'd love to have a conversation with you. You have friends that would love to have a conversation with you to help you know more of what it means to follow Jesus. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for the reminder of your son, Jesus. Thank you, that, thank you that he saved us in a personal way. Thank you that we get to have a personal relationship with you. I pray for those that you are seeking, and maybe they've been running, but today they realize they can be saved. Pray in this moment you give them the faith to believe. I pray that you give them the courage to tell someone about it and not just keep that to themselves. We thank you for the invitation we have to come to you. And even when we refuse that invitation, we thank you that you, you come to us and make sure our attention is focused on you. Lord, we, we praise you. In your son, Jesus Christ, we ask all in his name. Amen.